All right. Welcome in, everyone, to episode 21 of the Peach State Tailgate Sports Podcast. I am Kenny Cochran, joined by my co-host here, Mr. Jake Hill. Oh, yeah. Man, it's the start of a new week on the pod. We're happy to be back. Georgia's got some ball this week. After a slow week last week, no college football for, for the home team, Georgia Bulldogs. We are glad to be back. And boy, what a week to be back, Jake. It is Florida hate week. Yeah, man, I'm pumped. It's 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 going to be a, a real fun weekend, man. I'm, I'm going to let you continue the introduction. I'm sure we'll have a little bit of talk about it, you know, as the podcast rolls. That's right. I just mentioned that Georgia-Florida games this weekend, the biggest cocktail party in the Southeast. Um, it is an absolute blast every single year, even when we come out there and route the boys like we did last year and like we are going to do again this year. Um, we got some Hawks basketball to talk about. We got some Falcons football to talk about, just some sports all around the world. We, You know, sports, Georgia might have been off, but sports still happened. Atlanta sports still played. Georgia sports still played and everywhere still played. So um, we'll do a little review of what we saw this week from the Hawks, what we did, uh, what we saw this week from the Falcons, and uh, dive a little bit into this Georgia-Florida. Um, obviously, if you're tuning in, we want to say thank you so much for for listening, for watching, if you're on the YouTube side of things. If you are on the YouTube side of things, be sure to check us out anywhere you get your podcasts. We're Peach State Tailgate on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere. Give us a follow, give us a listen, and uh, make sure you leave us a review. Give us your input. And on the podcast side of things as well, check us out on the YouTube, man. We do live streams here two days a week. We talk about ball a little bit before we get started. You get to dive in a little early and hear us talk about, you know, a little chitter-chatter. We just got done on a probably a 10-15 minute rampage into hawks history it was pretty interesting um but yeah man thank you guys so much for listening and uh can't wait to bring another week to you so let's go ahead and get this thing started jake what you got for him? all right kenny i'll kick us off with a little bit of atlanta hawks i guess i should say tip us off since we're talking about basketball um since we last spoke i want to say the hawks have played two games and they are actively playing a game right now a little time check for you guys it's 11 oh, i said 11 9 11 p.m. on October 26th or Wednesday, if you're just listening to us, you know, during the week. Um, and yeah, the Hawks, as of right now, are two and one. We're playing the Detroit Pistons. I think we're up by one point, so we're in a little bit of a tight knit game right there. But uh, the Hawks have looked decent. Um, you know, we started off the season with a, with a win against the Houston Rockets in Atlanta. Then we carried it to over to Orlando on Friday night. And uh, that was actually a game I was in attendance for. And there's one thing about the Hawks in the first two games of the season I noticed. Um, we weren't very efficient. We had multiple things that were happening, and it seemed like we just couldn't get the efficiency numbers up. Um, some interesting things I'm checking out now. We beat the Orlando Magic by 10. It was a 108-98 to 98 victory. And we look at the box score. Everybody was a positive, had positive minutes besides Jalen Johnson. Surprisingly, Everybody else was in the positive, and Jalen Johnson was minus 16 through 12 minutes, which is, I don't want to say it's alarming um, because the guys that play on the floor, whatever Jalen Johnson's not on the floor, is uh, John Collins. So, you know, you kind of expect a lot more production from John than you get from Jalen, but it is at least, you know, a pretty intriguing thing that in 12 minutes, somehow the Hawks were minus 16 um, whenever Jalen Johnson was on the floor, which is a, a pretty, pretty, pretty interesting thing. Um, you know, Trey, he, he kind of got off to a slow start, but he had a couple of big shots down the line to help the Hawks uh, get rolling. That's kind of the story of Trey Young. Um, even during his bad nights, he'll pull off a 20-point third quarter that kind of like, gets you running and going. And we have enough guys around him that we can kind of maintain until he finally finds that shot. Because whenever Trey finds that shot, he's going to start making a couple in a row. And it's like they just pile up on you so quick. 
Dude, and one thing I want to say too, you mentioned the two games that we had since the last episode. Um, I think really John Collins, um, and we've been high on John Collins. Obviously, we're Hawks fans, so we've been fans of this guy. Even more so, you, Jake, you've been on the John Collins train the whole time. But to me, John Collins has just continued to impress me, man. Um, this is a guy, you saw the trade rumors. The rumors, are, are we going to bring him back? Is this guy going to be a Hawk long term? I think there was a little bit of drama going on. Um, and he just came out this season and has been huge for us. Um, so John Collins, uh, DeJounte Murray, Trey Young, and DeAndre Hunter as a whole. I mean, these guys have all four been balling week after week. Um, one thing I want to say about the last game, too, where you just mentioned, or I don't know if you mentioned it, the Hornets game. Did you talk about that at all? I didn't. Um, well, then I'll just do a little my point of view. I'll let you dive into the full game. But, um, you know, those guys have been balling, headed up into that Charlotte game. man. it was kind of weird because I don't know how you felt watching that Charlotte game. But to me, it felt like a flashback to 2021. Um, Trey Young came out there and balled and, and played a good game, but didn't really have anywhere any other help around the floor, and the Hawk, this Hawks team, man, looked putrid on defense. The defense was horrible. You heard Nate in the post-game presser say some choice words that we can't really say on this podcast. Yeah. But um, it just seemed like a flashback to last year. So hopefully, you know, you look at tonight as a get-back game. We can, you know, close this thing out and get the win. But, yeah, I mean, these guys have been balling so far this year, so that's a, a big positive. And, um, you know, hopefully we just move past that last game. Yeah, this Hawks team is, uh, and you talk about the Charlotte game, that's the game that we lost uh, 126 to 109. Like you said, the defense was definitely one of the key points that we're talking about. The Hawks, through the first two games, were one of the better defensive teams in basketball. And that's not something we really expect from the Atlanta Hawks. You know, we expect to be better than last year on defense, adding the guys like DeJounte Murray, obviously, John Collins and Clint Capella. Those two guys in the middle are, are pretty solid. Clint is, you know, an all defensive type of guy you have back there. But, you know, on the perimeter, things can still get a little bit sketchy. Um, and whenever your efficiency is not there on offense, this Hawks team is definitely an offensive team. We were last year we were the number one scoring offense in basketball last year. So whenever the offense isn't rolling, you have to rely so much on defense. It, it kind of gets you in a little bit of a sticky situation. And I think that's exactly what happened on, uh, what was this? Was this Monday? I don't have my... Monday. Monday, okay, yeah. This, I think that's Monday. exactly... Sunday, okay. Um, I think that's exactly what happened on Sunday. Um, you know, we see guys like Trey. Trey was nine for 25. Uh, and he was two for eight from three. He did put up 28 points and nine, nine assists. Um, so, you know, you look at Trey's final game, it's usually always something pretty crazy. And that's the reason at the end of the year, you look at his numbers, you're like, holy cow, this guy just had a crazy season and nobody's talking about it. But around him, like if, if Trey's having games like that, which he's still producing, um, you kind of need your guys to be a little bit more efficient. John Collins had a terrible game. Three for 12 from the field, 0 for 7 from three, which is not something we're used to seeing from John. John is usually... Pretty cash from the three-point range is a big guy. He's, he's usually hovering around 40% on the season. So seeing him go for 7, we know it's kind of more of a fluky thing. Um, DeAndre Hunter also only went 4 for 11, 1 for 5 from 3. And, you know, as a, to as a total, the Hawks went 8 for 35 for 3. So that's something that you do that in a game you kind of expect to lose, especially whenever your opponents, you know, they didn't shoot a ton of threes, but they did shoot 43% from 3, 11 for 26. And, uh... They were missing LaMelo Ball, which is very, very significant. He is their best player on that team. But, uh, you know, in a league like this, we talk about it all the time with the, with the NFL, and it's kind of the same thing in the NBA. You can get beaten any given night if you don't come out and play. You know, these teams all have guys that, that can perform at an NBA level. If they couldn't, they wouldn't be on an NBA roster. So you kind of look at it, and, you know, you take it as grand salt. We didn't expect this Hawks team to go undefeated. It, it They don't happen, you know, in basketball. So, Go ahead and get the first loss out the way and uh, let's get rolling again, which it seems like we are doing pretty good right now in Detroit. Well, yeah. are we in Detroit? Wait, wait. Yeah, we're in Detroit, yes. 
you mentioned it right there, and I know we both kind of hit on it with the um, the defense being a little bit lackluster. One thing about this Hawks team this year that's been kind of a killer is the efficiency. Um, dude, we th- this Hawks team has not been very efficient from the floor. It's something that we really need to get better at. But when you have guys producing, it, it can kind of cover up some of the um, you know inefficiencies of the game. It can cover up some of the bad play, especially when you can get a little bit of you know more plus play on the defensive side of things this year than we had last year. You can kind of cover up some of those uh, miscues, some of those, uh, you know, some of that bad play, I guess you could say. Um, and yeah, we definitely, definitely got exposed a little bit in that in that Charlotte game, man. Um, the defense didn't show up. The efficiency was still horrible. And uh, when you're not, when when there's a little bit of a lid on the basket and you can't make shots the way you want to, especially with how much you're shooting the ball, it really hurts you, especially if you can't play defense. So, yeah, that's something that really hurt us, and something that's kind of been an Achilles heel of this Hawks team so far this year is efficiency as a whole. Um, I think that'll come. I mean, this Hawks team, I mean, Trey Young is is known for being a fairly efficient player, especially from three-point range. So when you talk about a team struggling this bad efficiency-wise, I think that's something that'll kind of regress to the mean a little bit as this season, you know, unfolds a little bit more. Yeah, I agree. And then we talk about getting guys like Bogey back. Uh, that's going to be a huge thing for the Hawks. We, we really, really need uh, Bogdanovich back on the court because that second unit right now, although it has had its little flashes, um, Facing does get a little bit limited whenever you have guys like Anyeka Kongu and Jalen Johnson out there. Jalen Johnson can shoot the ball a little bit, but it's not something we really see him do a ton. Um, also, Aaron Holiday, he's been doing a solid job, you know, at holding down that two spot until Bogey is back. But it's an obvious upgrade right there. Bogey's one of the most lethal catch and shoot shooters in the NBA whenever he's on the floor playing. And he also gives you a little bit of like secondary ball handling ability. And he can take it off the dribble, you know. Even though it might not be the most flashy dribble moves, he can still kind of create his own shot every once in a while. So that's going to be something nice to see. Um, looking at tonight's game, it's actually going on right now. And uh, actually, I'm I, I just going to say the Hawks are looking good right now. We'll, we'll kind of dig into the full game stuff tomorrow whenever we you know, have time to do the recaps. Because this game's still actively going. Yeah. I don't want to say something right now and then everybody listens to it tomorrow. Like, oh, yeah, Hawks won. And they check the score like, oh, never mind, Hawks didn't win. So I'm just going to say we are up 109 to 103. Yeah, we've had some bad instances happen in the past, especially when you talk about baseball season. We prayed on the Mets <clears throat> downfall, and then after the podcast, they walk it off in the bottom of the 11th. That is the truth. I, I do remember that. Was, that was terrible. We're like, oh, the Mets are losing. Let's go. Yeah, definitely don't want to do that again. <laughs> no. But, uh, yeah, I think that pretty much wraps it up on the Hawks talk for me, Kenny. It's just got to start putting the ball in the basket, um, shooting the ball with a little bit more efficiency. And I think, you know, it's just it's a whole completely different look whenever we talk about it, changing from a guy like Kevin Herter to DeJounte Murray. I mean, DeJounte is a stud, don't be wrong, but he's a different type of player than Kevin is. Kevin was always like kind of like your dish out, you know, shoot the three ball or even bogey. We saw both of them kind of take over that two spot for a while. And uh they both kind of had the same ability, and DeJounte is not that type of player. So it's it's a it's a real different thing we're looking at this year. I think, you know, just minutes played together, this team is going to be better than last year's team, and they already, they're already showing that this year. Um, we just take advantage of this week's schedule to start the season and uh, get a couple games up over 500 and start playing these big dog teams as they come along on the schedule. No, you're absolutely right. Um, yeah, this Hawks team, it's a really exciting team, man. Um you bring in a guy like DeJounte Murray and see the team kind of take a turn for the better and something that's been super hyped up for Atlanta fans and for Hawks fans. Um, this team, it's it's a very exciting Hawks team to watch. You never really know what you're going to see. You know Trey's going to go out there and ball, but when you got guys like John Collins, DeAndre Hunter, DeJounte Murray, even Clint Capella, and you talk about guys like Inyeka Kongwu, 
Um, these guys come out and contribute all in their own way. And um, we, when you have a more balanced Hawks team like this on both sides of the ball, I think it, it's just going to be a fun team to watch this entire season. I agree. I agree 100%. Does that bring us into some Falcons talk, Kenny? I believe so. Would you like to kick us off or would you like to get a, would you like me to get us started? Um, why don't you go ahead and kick us off here, Jake? All right, so um, Atlanta fans, we were on the high horse for a couple weeks there, y'all. And depending on how you feel, you can still say we're, we're, still, we're still on the high horse a little bit. We, you know, we, we, still, we still got a good little shot, but the Cincinnati Bengals just killed our dreams this past Sunday. Lord, was it a terrible game. Um, there's a couple key things to talk about this game. I'm not going to go too deep in the box scores and stuff, but I will with one guy. Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow absolutely torched our defense all day long. 34 for 42, 481 yards and three tuts. That is a lot of production with a lot of efficiency. And, you know, I, I do want to say this. The Falcons were depleted in the secondary. You know, we talked about last week with guys like uh, A.J. Terrell going down, Casey Hayward and Isaiah Oliver all go- getting hurt in the same game last week. Well, this game, AJ Terrell went down again. So, um, he's he, I think right now he's week to week. So we will have to keep track of him throughout the weeks. Good thing is D. Alfred was also a little bit banged up. I think he's just day to day. So I think signs are pointing at him playing this coming up Sunday. But right now, the Hawks that I said Hawks, the Falcons are looking at a defensive back group at the quarterback position of D. Alfred, Darren Hall, and Isaiah Oliver. Not looking good. Uh, we have seen flashes from every one of those guys, but. The drop-off from A.J. Terrell and Casey Hayward to Darren Hall and D. Alfred on the outsides is pretty significant, to say the least. Uh, you know, for a minute there, we thought we had one of the best cornerback groups in football, and it, in the NFL, it shows how fast things can change. Yeah, and anytime you match up against a team like this Bengals team, man, obviously Joe Burrow, Joey B. is an absolute stud. He's a great quarterback. He is of the upper echelon in the league and to be yes. so young and dominate the way he is. He is an incredible player. So we are not going to say anything negative about Joe Burrow, but like I was saying, anytime you match up against a team like this Bengals team, man, who have arguably the best wide receiving core in the NFL, um, you could certainly make that argument. And I would not tell you you are wrong. Um, and you tried out a practice squad defensive backfield against them. It's not going to wind up very good for your team. Yeah. And uh, that's a, that's exactly what happened to this Falcons team, man. Um, it was an absolute horrendous performance. I want to say the Bengals are like first or second in the NFL in opponent points in the second half this year. I want to say they've allowed like three points per game in the second half throughout this entire year. Yeah, they have not allowed a touchdown, which is which is crazy. That's just absurd, dude. And uh, you saw it here. Falcons did not score one point in the second half of this football game. Yeah, and uh, I, I want to say this. Joe Burrow started off the season with a game against Pittsburgh, and I think everybody was kind of like, oh, man, is this is this like the Super Bowl like regress that we're seeing live right here? Because he came out and had two tuds, four interceptions, and everybody was like, oh, my God. Since then, Joe Burrow has had, uh, I want to say, 13 touchdown passes and one interception through the past six weeks. He is second in the league in passing and third in touchdowns. With five, and he, he's... he's 2,097 yards, 15 tuds, five interceptions. Joe Burrow, man, he's after that first week, I feel like a lot of people haven't really been talking about him much. This man's going to put himself in the MVP conversation if he keeps this up, like legit MVP consideration, because he's up there and he's up there statistically with guys like Mahomes and Allen right now. 
Yeah, dude. I mean, he's an absolute stud, and this team is really, really good. Now, the Super Bowl hangover is a real thing. It is an actual thing in the NFL. Yes. Look at the Rams. Look how bad they've been struggling. The Bengals kind of had that early on, too. They started off the first three weeks, weren't very pretty, um, and a lot of people were trying to write them off. But you, know, you talk about a Super Bowl hangover. This is just exactly what this was because this team has come back all the way. They look like an absolute Super Bowl contender. They look like a team that could make a postseason push just like they did last year. They surprised everybody in the league last year making that Super Bowl appearance. And um, I think it's a team that a lot of people thought it could have been a little fluky, uh, myself included. I, I questioned it a couple times. But watching this team play the kind of ball they're playing right now, there's no question this team is, without a doubt, a championship contender. Um, and, and that's the thing about the NFL. We talk about college football a lot on this show. Obviously, we're Georgia fans. You know, out of 130-some-odd teams in the FBS, there's a lot of really, really good teams and a lot of really, really bad teams. And there's a big separation between a good team in college football and a bad team in college football. It's just the way it is. In the NFL, it's not like that. These guys are the greatest athletes in the world. The best team in the NFL is not insurmountably better than the worst team in the NFL. And you see that proven week after week. Look at a team like the Jets, man. The Jets are out there blowing everybody's socks off. A two-loss team right now, which is absolutely nuts. Is that team, personnel-wise, as good as the Buffalo Bills or the Kansas City Chiefs? No, but the record rivals them. Why? Because this is a NFL, a professional football team full of world-class athletes. So when a Bengals team comes out here and struggles the way they do and they can kind of right the ship a little bit and play the kind of ball they're playing right now, um, I mean, watch out for them, dude. This team is scary. Yeah, and, it, you know, with a team like that, it all rivals around, you know, um, you know, we talk about a team like Cincinnati. It all rivals around that offense, and like you mentioned, this offense, when it's going, probably it might be the deepest offense in football. Whenever you talk about a guy like Joe Burrow and then Joe Mixon in the backfield with three stud wide receivers, you know, out there with T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, and Tyler Boyd. Um, I think that if you line this offense up just personnel-wise against any other team, there's a good chance that this team is is better on paper than any other offense in football just looking at their skill positions, which is a, a really, really significant thing because they came out against Atlanta and absolutely showed that. They pretty much did, did what they wanted to at will against Atlanta. And, you know, I think that kind of brings us into a good type of conversation to talk about the Falcons a little bit and see what they did. Um, the key thing for this game is we went down early. And when we went down early, we were not throwing the ball. Um, Marks Mariota finished the game 8 for 13, 124 yards, a tud, no interceptions. He got sacked three times, um, a 55 QBR and a 118.7 quarterback rating. Um, I know we've had a lot of conversations about this throughout, you know, the past couple of days in, in our little group chat. Um, talk about what's been going on with this. But Kenny, I'm going to get you to transfer that over to the podcast side a little bit. What, what's your thoughts on either, you know, Arthur Smith's game plan or what, what, the, what the Falcons have going on? Because it kind of seemed like. We went down quick and, and we kind of weren't really trying to get back into the game super, you know, super hard. No, you're absolutely right. And I'm glad you mentioned it because that is the magic topic of conversation with this Falcons team. Um, I mean, Falcons fans, don't hang me out in the middle of the street to dry on this. All right. Don't don't post me up there on Peachtree Street in downtown Atlanta and, and hang me for saying this because I'm not by any means trying to write off this Falcons team. I love this Falcons team and I'm a diehard fan, but let's look, let's be a little realistic here, boys. This Falcons team is three and four. We've been playing really, really good ball. 
contending with a lot of teams that a lot of people didn't think we should even be in the conversation to compete with. We've won games. We've impressed everybody. Do not forget, Falcons fans, this is 100% a rebuilding football team. We are in the middle of a full-fledged rebuild. You lose a guy like Julio Jones, a guy like Matt Ryan, you are undoubtedly rebuilding this team. Regardless of how good you're playing or the caliber of players that you bring in, this is a rebuilding team. Are we ahead of schedule in the rebuild? Absolutely. This team is playing very, very good football up until this last week. And I think you ask anybody from around the league, they'll tell you this Falcons team is exciting to watch. This is a team that you can kind of get behind and root for because they're going to be underdogs and they've been covering machines. Uh, they, they always say good teams win and great teams cover. Well, the Falcons have done both. And, um, you know, we've talked about on this show, you, you can talk about the X's and O's all you want to. You can talk about how good this guy's playing or that guy's playing. This team has been able to fight through adversity week after week and kind of show up in games you didn't think they would show up in and be able to play at a high caliber, caliber that a lot of people didn't think we would reach at any point this season. And um, that's the most frustrating thing about it, I will say, is when you go down three possessions to any team in the NFL, not to mention a team that just played in the Super Bowl, you just you can't just put your nose down and run the football and try and get through it. It seemed to me, Jake, and you can kind of tell me how you think about it or how you feel, it seemed like our game plan was to just go out there and not get blown out. Yeah, It didn't seem – I agree. There wasn't, there wasn't one time from the first snap of the game till the last snap in the game, there wasn't one time watching this football game that I felt we were trying to win it. Yeah, it was uh, – you're 100% right on that. Out the gate, like right away, Joe Burrow was rolling from the start. That thing was offense was rolling from the start. We went down quick 14. And I do think we did kind of get back into it a little bit in the second quarter. Things started to get a little bit more exciting. But then, you know, the Bengals did what they do, and they scored more points on offense. And they kind of they scored a third-quarter score. We didn't score anything in the second half. So at that point, the game was over. And we kept on running the ball. Um, and at that, you know, the problem with running the ball so much, and, and I, I hate to kind of knock on old-school football because it is still fun to watch, you know, hard hard nose you know, low scoring, just pounding the ball down people's throats. It is fun to watch. But in the, in the NFL, it's a lot harder to do. And if you're going to do that, you kind of have to rely on your defense to not do what they did and give up 35 points because it is almost impossible to score 35 points in a game where you throw the ball 13 times. That's not what you see happening in the NFL. College ball is a little different. Sometimes you'll see these running backs go out and get 20 carries for 400 yards and three tuds. Like, that's something that happens. In the NFL, we don't get to see that. And, uh... I was I was thinking about some stuff a little bit, and I was looking at past numbers and stuff, and it kind of seems like since Cordero Patterson hit the IR, this game plan has changed a significant amount. Whenever Cordero Patterson was on the field playing at the running back position, we were a lot more comfortable letting Marcus throw the ball around, and it seems like since Cordero went down, we have seen Marcus's attempts go down immensely, which is a little bit alarming. I know that the two guys we have back that run the ball right now, Tyler Algier and Caleb Huntley, are not your... Not your pass catching backs by any mean. They're both they're both kind of you know one trick ponies with getting the ball in their hands and lowering their head and booming up the middle, which they are very very good at. It don't get me wrong, but whenever you start trying to run um, different plays and trying to get things working in the pass game, it, it kind of hurts with with our offense that we run because we see a lot of sets that have you know Keith Smith at, on the field and you know. Tyler Algier slash Caleb Huntley on the field and Parker Hesse on the field. None of those guys are your prototypical pass catchers. So DBs are tuning in on one or two guys at that point. And those one or two guys have to be Drake London and Kyle Pitts. And it shows in this game whenever 
you know, your two former first round picks get a combined four catches for 18 yards. It's tough to win games like that, man. You have to try to find ball a way to get the ball in both of their hands because they're the two biggest playmakers in this offense. And if they're not really rolling, it's going to be kind of tough to beat good teams like Cincinnati. We have beat some teams this year, like the Seahawks. Um, we obviously beat the 49ers on some stuff, but uh, whenever you go against a pass-heavy team like the like the Cincinnati Bengals and like a lot of teams you're going to face come playoff time if we do make the playoffs, uh, that play style is not going to work. Things are going to have to change a little bit. That's the thing, right? Like, it, it's so tough, man, because I was up on my horse talking about put the rookie, put the rookie in. Why is he not in the game? And that's a conversation that we can have. But – you know, I think the number one argument to that is it's the scheme, it's the play, it's the play style, it's the coaching style, it's it's what we're doing, it's it's how we choose to run the offense right now. And I just don't understand it, dude. Like I understand, I do, I get it that we're in the middle of a rebuild. I just mentioned it. But when you're competitive against teams that you shouldn't be competitive against, you know, at least to the public eye, and you're playing good football, you're a 500 team headed into this Bengals game, con- le- legitimately contending for the NFC South right now, mind you. And you come out there and you just lay over, it just it's the most frustrating thing to watch. I don't know if it's Marcus Mariota. I don't know if it's Arthur Smith. I don't know what it is. But I will say this. When you spend first round top 10, top 5 draft picks in consecutive years on offensive pass-catching weapons, and you go into a game against a pass-heavy offense where there is no way in hell you're going to keep it close or even try or attempt to win the game by keeping the ball on the ground 100% of the time, what are you doing? Why, why is this how we choose to play this team? I don't understand it, and we've seen it all year. We have. Marcus Mariota is averaging 13 completions, 21 attempts, 168 yards passing, one touchdown, and half an interception per game. You total that out with his rushing numbers. This man is giving us a total of 200 yards of total offense, one and a half turnovers, and one and a half touchdowns per game when you factor in fumbles and rushing yards and everything. Part of that, I want to say, is on the coaching staff and on the scheme. Part of that is on Marcus Mariota. I understand you can't just point at one thing and say that's the issue. I get that. We've had this conversation. We're having it now on the podcast for the first time. But at some point, I think you've got to switch things up. Whether that's a personnel change, whether that's a play style change, I don't know. But when you're in a game down three possessions and you're running the football with Kyle Pitts and Drake London out wide, able to catch passes. I mean, we talk about Kyle Pitts, man. Kyle Pitts, we can only call him a generational talent and a unicorn long enough. Like, at some point, we've got to see something out of him. And I'm not saying he's a bad player. I think he's an absolute stud. I think he's a freak of nature. I think he is one of the best offensive weapons in the entire league with some of the biggest upside in the league. But at some point, you got to see something from him, dude. This dude's got one touchdown on American soil in his two seasons of being in the NFL. It's like, dude, I mean, at some point, you've got to start trying to get these guys the football. Whether you're successful at it or not is a different thing. But when you're down three scores to a Super Bowl team, You've got to you've got to try something, and running the ball is just not going to do it. No, definitely not. Um, it, it's definitely a really tough conversation to have because I think the outlook on this is if you go to Desmond Ritter, there's no going back. If you have to go back to Marcus Mario after Desmond Ritter, I think the Desmond Ritter train is done. I think that's kind of the the idea that you kind of go into this with because Mariota's not going to it's it's 
it, it's it's so hard to talk about. Um, Mariota has not played bad enough to get benched to me. I know we can talk about some of the games where he's thrown the ball a lot. Um, you know, we point back Buccaneers, we point back Rams. He did not play particularly bad in those games. He did have two interceptions in the Rams game. One of them was on an attempt to win the game in the end zone, and Jalen Ramsey made a freak play. So uh, I'm going to take that one away. He was trying to make a play, and things happen. That's that's not a bad decision. It was just the best cornerback in football making a play on a ball. If, if, if this scheme or this management came out and let Marcus Mario throw the ball 35 times in a game, and he had three interceptions and one touchdown, that's a different conversation. But them not allowing him to play offense kind of makes it hard for me to point the finger at him. Because that, at that point, I, I know we can say what we want to about what's going on at practice, what's going on, maybe they don't trust him. But if you don't trust an eight-year pro or a nine-year pro, whatever Mario is, I, I don't believe that you could trust a third-round rookie out of Cincinnati. That, that is kind of my, my idea with it. And, uh, you know, you watch the games, man. This scheme is nowhere near set up for a passing quarterback. A lot of the plays we run, like, the routes are vanilla. Everything in the pass game is very vanilla with this Falcons team right now. And I mentioned was since Cordero Patterson went down, we have not been throwing the ball nearly as much. And I don't know if it's because you take away that, you know, one of the best receiving backs in football or, you know, really what it is. But we have enough weapons out wide to kind of make things work. And it's something that I feel like we haven't really tried to dabble in enough. Um, I don't think it's a question right now if Mariota is going to be the starter for the future, at least a short term. I think that's a guarantee. Um, he's, he's not going to be benched. You know, I, I don't see him getting benched relatively soon just because the fact that we do have kind of a little bit of a weaker schedule coming up and um like i mentioned he has not been playing bad enough and i will say this i do think this falcons team still is very hopeful on making the playoffs you know fans can have our opinions but i guarantee you in the locker room they're not thinking about a rebuild right now that's not in any team's mind they are thinking about winning the next game because i remember i was listening to pat McAfee. he was talking about it and he was talking about how a lot of people accused the colts for tanking for luck and he said that he remembers everybody out there trying their best because they had incentives on the line. Like, they're not going to risk their money to bring in another player. That's not, it, it's a job, it's a career. You're going to try to make as much money as you can. So he was talking about, I'm trying to punt the hell out of the ball because, you know, I, I have an incentive. I'm trying to hit to get a million dollars. Like, I have a million dollars on the line for this. I'm not going to go out there and suck and lose a million dollars just to get a player on the team. So I, I don't think that's the mindset. I, I, I don't want to talk for the players, but I think if you went in the locker room right now and asked them who they think, who their quarterback is and who gives them the best shot to win every game. I would say it's probably Marcus Mariota right now because the aspect that he has not played super bad. I know the, you know, it, it, it's so hard to say because, you know, obviously the attempts and stuff are so down. That's kind of, you know, pointless, but he has been efficient in the, in the minimum bit of attempts they've given him. So, you know, they go out there and give him a 30 attempt passing game, which they should, they need to, because you really need to see if this is going to be a team that can actually compete in the postseason. If you can go out there and throw the ball efficiently 30 times, you probably can. You probably can compete decently. But if you can't, then that's when the time would be to make a move. But I do think we're still a little bit away from that. And that's the thing that gets me, man, is, is we can talk all we want about the coaching staff's ability or how they feel about trusting a guy. Do they trust Mariota? Do they trust Desmond Ritter? Um, obviously, you don't really trust Desmond Ritter at this point because he's an unproven rookie. Dude has not played at all. Um, but from what we've seen, it doesn't look like they trust Mariota either. And or whether or not they're right for feeling that way, obviously we don't know what's going on in practice. These guys could look like absolute dog crap in practice. We have no clue. At some point, you got to give him a shot. If Mariota's yes. going to be the guy, you've got to give him an opportunity to prove that he's the guy because he hasn't proven me at this point. He has not. Has he played good ball? 
Yeah, but you know, you bring a guy, an eight-year veteran, in there to manage a football team. You know, he at some point he's going to figure out how to manage the football team, and he's doing a good job of it, right? He's managing this team in in ways that's been able to to win games, and we've won more games than people have expected so far this year. So, you know, props to him. But when you play a team like this Bengals team, who I mean, dude, like we've played playoff caliber teams, we have. Don't get me wrong, but the teams that we've played that are playoff contenders are struggling teams. And then we go in here against a hot Bengals team, a team that is undoubtedly a playoff contender, a, a championship contender, and you lay an egg like this, it makes you wonder, like, well, I, I just don't – it doesn't give me much hope, man. It, it really doesn't because when you have a guy like Marcus Mariota who is managing the team as good as he is, you got to give him an opportunity. You have to. You just mentioned it with a 30-attempt game. Give him a 30-attempt game. This is the absolute prime example of a game where you do that. And we don't do it. So I just think, you know, and I'm not out here saying that Marcus Mariota is a terrible quarterback. I'm not saying that at all. But I just think if you're going to expect this guy to go out there and contribute to the passing game with eight completions against a team like the Bengals, then, you know, are you not expecting a rookie to be able to go out there and do the same thing? I'm just not sure that this level of production, and not even production on him, it's not like you're asking him to do all of this stuff and he's underperforming. You're asking him to do exactly what he's doing. He's I doing a fine the, job at it. That's, the, that's right. the hard part. That's the issue. It's like if you were asking him to complete thir- or to attempt 30 passes a game and he's not producing, that would be a different story. But we're only asking him to do exactly what he's doing, and it's just not going to work against – contenders against actual playoff teams so when you're talking about a team that could potentially make the playoffs that has an opportunity the schedule lines up we could make a run here we absolutely could at some point you got to switch it up and if they don't trust Marcus Mariota to do it I don't know if they trust Desmond Ritter to do it but at some point you got to give somebody an opportunity and if you're not going to give Marcus Mariota the opportunity then please put somebody in there that you will give the opportunity to because we got to see something man we're not going to make a playoff push, a postseason push, a championship push, whatever you want to call it, averaging these numbers. I mean, Tyler Algier, he's been playing stellar football, you know, not ripping on him at all. But 16 carries for 50 yards, he's averaging three yards a carry. Like, you're not going to be able to do that leading a team to to the playoffs. It's just not – it's not realistic. And I know CPAT's not here, so I'm, you know, up here ranting about the running game when we don't have our our number one running back. But – at some point, man, things have got to change. So if it's the scheme, if it's the coaching, then I think we need to figure something out because I do like Arthur Smith. I really do. I think what he's been able to bring to this team has been amazing. Um, it's been a culture shift in Atlanta. You can certainly see that this year. But following two draft classes, man, when you bring in amazing weapons in the past game and you're not using them, I'm just – I'm a little bit flustered. I'm like – I just am having a hard time trying to figure out what we're, what we're doing. I mean, are we looking for the future? And that brings me to this question, Jake. Okay. Do you think we see Desmond Ritter at some point this season? Yes, a thousand percent. When do you think we see him? One sec. Let me pull up a schedule. Let me let me get a Falcon schedule up, and I and I I will I will let you know. I think that we will see. Uh, Lord. And obviously, guys, this is all pending where we stand later in the season. If Marcus Mariota's the starting quarterback and he's not giving you any reason to pull him out of the game and we're a you know above 500 team with a legitimate chance of making the playoffs, you probably don't see Desmond Ritter. But if we're in a position to where 
well, you know, maybe it's not looking so good as far as the playoff push goes. I mean, I believe you have to. Yeah, um, thinking about that is hard, too, because the Falcons are running through a pretty easy stretch of the schedule right now. We have a game against Carolina. Then we go to we play the Chargers in San Diego or at home, actually. Then we play in Carolina. Then we have Chicago. We have Commanders. We have Steelers. And we have Saints. So we go through a pretty easy stretch of games, which which is interesting because the Falcons can manage to win majority of those games and be a couple games above 500. Then that's when that question starts coming if we see Desmond Ritter. And at that point, I would probably say no. Um, the beautiful thing with this is, I will say, if you lose a third-round pick, who cares? As bad, as bad as that sounds. I know we have high hopes on Desmond Ritter, and you know he's, he's still a rookie. Like Him playing this year is not necessarily the most important thing. We can go into the draft next year. We could draft a quarterback, and he might flop completely, and then Ritter's the guy next guy up. Or, hear me out, we can go into next year's draft and not even draft a quarterback and run it back and wait and draft a skill position player, draft a, you know, depending on our draft position, draft somebody, you know, a defensive player or something like that, which is, I know is not the most exciting things in Falcons fans. We are kind of waiting to see that next franchise quarterback. We've kind of been in that mode, even with Matt Ryan still being here, we've kind of been in that mode since the Super Bowl. So um, I, I know it's not the most popular opinion, but Mariota is on a two-year deal. And um, Ritter obviously is, a, well, I think four years is what rookies get. So, there's still plenty of time to kind of, you know, mark that out. But I do think that this Falcons team is competitive and we do make a playoff push. I think that's where that pushes you to the point where you probably don't draft a quarterback next year in the draft. So it's kind of like if we suck, then we'll probably see Ritter and then we'll probably draft a quarterback if Ritter's not that, that, that guy. If we are good and we make a playoff push, I don't really see us drafting a quarterback. So I think that, you know, Mario and Ritter. I will say this, though, before we get too far off of it. Um... I do think that the Bengals game was a big wake-up call for the Falcons because, as bad as it is to sound, um, this game plan has worked through three through six games in the season before the Bengals game. The game plan worked. We just came off of a big 28-14 to win against San Francisco where you did pretty much the same thing, um, and it worked fine for you. So seeing them kind of stick with that game plan, I, I, I don't, I'm not going to say it was expected. Um, the issue with it is sticking to, sticking with it for so long after you're already down for so much. But the problem is, you know how much scheming is in the NFL. You scheme all week long just to face this team, and all of a sudden they shut down your scheme and get up big. Like, do you just make calls on the fly? Like, okay, let's start passing the ball here. Coach, we don't have no passing plays drawn up for this. Oh, my God, here we go. So it's kind of one of those, like, fluky things. I'm assuming this week going to a Carolina game that they are definitely going to have a lot more complex routes and stuff designed because, you know, like I mentioned, it might not have been the flashiest games we saw from Mariota in games that he had to pass the ball, you know, a good bit. But it was games that we needed him to do it and we were competitive in. Like, the 49ers, like, not the 49ers game, the Rams game. Like, there's been games this year where he has kept us in ball games a little bit with his, with his arms. So I do want to kind of see the Falcons tilt back to that for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think we have to. I don't want to say it's a now or never situation because it's really not. I mean, we're still early on in the season, contrary to popular belief. I mean, seven games into it, you got to – 10 more games play. It's a lot of ball. Um, but when you're headed into a week schedule like you are, like you just mentioned with the teams that we play, man, I think it's a tough situation because I think ideally you've seen it in the past. You've seen <laughs> NFL teams do this year in and year out that draft a rookie. Talk about the the Tua Ryan Fitzpatrick situation, right? I know that's a little bit different. Tua is a you know, top 10 quarterback in his draft class. That's a little bit different. But when you're looking at the schedule and the way it lines up, for NFL teams, 
the ideal situation for them was even though Ryan Fitzpatrick was giving them a lot of positive play, they made it to a bye week. They gave Tua a full week as the number one, getting reps in practice, and then comes in after the bye and takes over the starting job and plays solid football. Um, I think that's a little bit of a tougher situation with this Falcons team, if I'm being honest, because I look at our bye week in week 14, man, after this, I mean, you look at the cupcake schedule. It literally is week after week leading up to the bye week. We go Chargers, Panthers, um, Bears, Commanders, Steelers, and or excuse me, we go Panthers, Chargers, back to the Panthers, Bears, Commanders, Steelers, and then you go into a bye week. And if the season is looking a little less hopeful after this cupcake schedule lines up and you think turn to Desmond in that bye week, you're asking a rookie quarterback to come in and play against defenses like the New Orleans Saints, the Baltimore Ravens, the Arizona Cardinals, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I just do not think that's a very favorable favorable lineup to throw a rookie quarterback out there against. And I'm just not sure that in those four games, your four-game sample size against defenses like this is going to be enough to tell whether or not you've got a guy. And I think it's going to put us in a pretty situ- pretty sticky situation when this draft class com- runs around with all these highfalutin quarterbacks that we're seeing in this year's draft class because – I don't want to say it's going to be a premature decision, but let's say Desmond Ritter comes out there and you know plays solid, gives you some upside, but it's still got to play against four, you know, top defenses in the league, and then you're put in a position to draft a guy. I don't know, man. It's a it's a sticky situation. So um, I agree with you, Jake. I think this schedule coming up is pretty favorable for the Falcons. We have a really good opportunity to go on a run here, but. I think I think now is the time, and you mentioned it with a wake-up call against this Bengals team. I really hope it is because we've got to work this passing game into the offense more, I mean significantly more than we have if we're going to do something competitive here. And if Marcus Mariota isn't getting it done, I don't think we're going to be able to give him all six games leading up into that bye before we make a switch. I just As a, as a football fan, I, I don't think you're putting Desmond Ritter in the best position to succeed if you do that. Yeah, and I I think the the thing that kind of hurts so much too with the Falcons kind of makes them real hesitant is because we look at really recently with rookie quarterbacks and second year guys even um they've been terrible. I'm I'm gonna straight up and say that right now. Rookie quarterbacks over the past two seasons and you know second year guys have been awful. Last year, Trevor Lawrence more interceptions than touchdowns. Justin Fields more interceptions than touchdowns. Zach Wilson more interceptions than touchdowns. Mac Jones looked solid in that system. He came into this year and was abs- and absolutely sucked. Um, he is starting this Sunday with against the Jets, by the way. So it's interesting to see him back in the starting lineup. But he has sucked. Davis Mills looked promising last year. He's sucked so far this year. So I, I think that also where you kind of bring in the in into the question of, you know, if he's if he's going to be that guy and perform, but you know. The way that recency, like recent, or Kenny Pick, I'm bringing him up too. He's he's been, you know, he's he's had his, his flashes, but overall, you know, turn the ball over. It's hard to win games no matter what you do if you throw three interceptions in the NFL. If you turn the ball over, right. if you give the other team three more possessions, it, it's tough to win ball games. Um, I don't know if it's so much of him being a guy on the field because none of those guys were guys on the field, and they still all have starting jobs. Matt Jones still a bit of a question mark, by the way, <laughs> but uh. I think it's more of what they see because, you know, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, and Justin Fields were three most hyped up guys last year outside of Trey Lance, who's, who's, you know, dealing with a terrible, you know, injury this season. He's out for the year. Um, and they all sucked last year. No way to walk your way around it. You could try it. We could try to point out the, the, the flashes of greatness they all showed, but they all sucked last year as rookies. 
it, it's kind of a hard thing to throw a rookie out there in any game. And then you mentioned the end of the schedule. It is tough games, but again, man, you have a lot better chance to win a football game, in my opinion, if your quarterback comes out there and goes 12 for 15 with 120 yards and a touchdown than if you do if your quarterback goes 17 for 30 with three with 250, a touchdown, and three interceptions. That's just how that's how football works. It's kind of a, a weird thing, but and I, I think that's kind of the risk the Falcons are kind of going at. And, you know, we talked about Matt Ryan. Falcons fans have been pleading for a new quarterback for years now. And to drop Mari, to drop Desmond Ritter in right now, and if he goes out there and plays a stinker, I can go ahead and talk for the Falcons fan base right now. They're going to be calling for him to never put a Falcons uniform on again after one week. So I think that's also one of your one of your scary things you're kind of running into. No, that's the thing. That that really is. That's that's how it is. I mean, the NFL it's a it's a dog eat dog world, right? I mean, you either produce or you don't. So uh, if you put a guy in and he doesn't look like a guy early on, then you're going to be calling for his head. This is not like Kenny Pickett. This is not like Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields or, you know, heck, even Mac Jones or, or Tua or whoever. This is not your top quarterback in the draft that these teams are bringing in that you're going to give them that long leash. Desmond Ritter is a third-round pick. He was one of the first quarterbacks taken in this draft class, but he was still a third-round pick nonetheless. So – this is a guy that's not going to have a super long leash. If he comes in and he doesn't play well, we're going to look elsewhere. Um, I just think it's a pretty favorable year to look elsewhere because of the draft class that's coming in. So, I don't know, man. I mean, we're talking as fans. We don't know what these guys are doing at practice. Desmond Ritter could look like the worst quarterback that Arthur Smith has ever seen in practice, and we just don't know. So, um, I'm almost wondering if that really is what it is. I mean, this guy must suck in practice because I'm just – you're not giving Marcus Mariota an opportunity to produce, and he is an eight-year veteran, so I can't imagine that you're going to give a rookie that much more of an opportunity unless the season just takes an awful downturn and we're just looking at a horrible you know, top-five pick situation, which I don't think is going to happen with the schedule coming up. So I don't know. You can cut a cake multiple different ways. There's more than one way to skin a cat, so – um, I think the Falcons will be able to figure it out, but I agree with you, Jake. I mean, if this Bengals game was anything, it should be a wake-up call, and hopefully we can turn this thing around and, and try to produce more offensively. When you have these weapons like we do, these early draft picks that we spend on guys like Kyle Pitts and Drake London, you got to get them involved at some point, especially when your number one offensive weapon goes down. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I, I was In my head, I was sitting here looking at the schedule. I was getting ready to rant on about upcoming stuff, but I figured that's probably not the best bet right now. Um, because this is our review podcast, not our preview podcast. So we'll save that for another time. And uh, Kenny, I'm I'm gonna let you get us started in our in our next thing. Um, you're usually the guy that that likes to kick this stuff off. So I'm gonna let you roll us into it. What we got going on this coming up weekend, Kenny? Let's go, man. Let's let's hop over to the dogs. Let's talk about a positive note. Your number one team in the nation, undefeated Georgia Bulldogs, headed into the best week of the year, and that is Florida Hate Week. We love to hate the Gators, and uh, it's no different now. You're coming off a season in last year where we win the national championship. Go down there, and honestly, a pretty ugly game against Florida last year, even though you come away with a 34-7 route over those boys. Um, you're headed into a year like this, man, where Florida looks absolutely terrible. Anthony Richardson looks absolutely nothing like anybody expected, and Georgia is looking about as good as anyone thought at the beginning of this year. Better if you talk about the defensive side of the ball. So, Florida hate week, man. This will be the 100th matchup between Georgia and Florida. Georgia's leading the series with a record of 54, 44, and 2. 
And Kirby Smart is 4-2 and two against Florida in his career. I want to say this, Jake, because this is a pretty interesting fact. Any of our betters out there, Georgia, under Kirby Smart, is averaging a margin of victory against Florida of 24 and a half. Oh. The line for this game, boys and girls, is set at 22 and a half. So, Wait, I'm going to stop you right there, Kenny, and I'm going to say this is also the most uneven matchup we've seen under the Kirby era talent-wise between Georgia and Florida. Go ahead and say that right now. I want to say this is the largest spread in this series history. 22 and a half. I believe I saw that somewhere. It is. It is. Okay, we have confirmation. You're absolutely right, Jake. This is the biggest talent gap we've seen. Let's talk about the X's and O's a little bit here, boys and girls. I was talking to Jake and and another one of our buddies earlier today about what we're going to see in this game. Kirby Smart is an absolute defensive wizard. We saw what he did at Alabama. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows he came to Georgia and has absolutely done the same exact thing. You give Dan Lanning all the praise, and he deserves it. He's done such a good job over there at Oregon and turning that program around and really building that thing up, and he did an amazing job as our defensive coordinator. But this is Kirby Smart's team. This is Kirby Smart's defense. In 2017, Kirby Smart made this 4-2-5 defense popular. And i tell you what this thing does. We are lining up a four-man front with a true nose tackle, two pass rushers, and a defensive tackle. This thing, it's so unique, and especially early on, I mean, you couldn't do anything against this Georgia defense. We were stopping inside zones. We were stopping it everywhere. And eventually, uh, two or three years in this thing, teams started to figure it out a little bit. I say figure it out. This team is still the number four ranked defense in college football and probably the number one ranked defense in college football when you factor in strength of schedule. So, I say they figured it out. They really hadn't figured it out from a production standpoint, but um, this 4-2-5 defense is very, very interesting. It's a defense that's been very effective for this Georgia team, and I want to say here on this podcast that this season we have only played one team, one team that runs the same defensive scheme, and that team is the Oregon Ducks, which we absolutely dominated in week one. And hear me out when I tell you this. The University of Florida runs an identical defense to this Georgia team. Identical. It looks like you're watching the Georgia defense with our third stringers in because the talent is not there. Nobody on this Florida defense would – I mean, I I can confidently say this. I don't think one player on this Florida defense would start at UGA. Not even Brenton Cox? Not even Brenton (laughs) Cox, Jay. (laughs) That's the reason he's not here no more. Yeah, that, that's why he's playing. That's why he's strapping it up Saturday for the Florida Gators and not the Georgia Bulldogs. So when you talk about the success that this team has had, I mean, we see that four-two-five defense every single day in practice because that's what we run. That's our bread and butter. Kirby's getting the reps in with the twos and threes. So when our starting offense goes out there, our second-team offense, whatever, we go out there, we run against this defense, we dominate Oregon, who runs the same thing. Don't expect anything different in this Florida game because Florida is absolutely a worse football team than the Oregon Ducks. Absolutely. It's not close. This Oregon team is a top 10 team in college football, probably a top five team in college football if you take away that Georgia loss. And um, we come out there and route those boys in week one. So I'm expecting to see a lot of the same thing in this Florida matchup. Um, So, yeah, I got some injury updates. We can talk about that. But, Jake, I guess before we dive into that, do you have anything you want to hit on? Uh, About this Georgia-Florida game? Um, Let's see. Um, I'm I'm going to say this a little bit. I'm not, I'm not worried about Florida. 
Um, if you know me, you you know that I I I tend to get particularly worried every single time we face a power five team. I will say that I, I do. I do. I don't brush off any power five teams and I do feel good about Florida. But there are some key things that I, I, I kind of want to keep my eye on right here. And one of them is that Florida did play Tennessee in a five point ball game earlier this year. They lost by five to Tennessee, 38 to 33. And one thing that happened was. We saw Anthony Richardson go for over 400 yards in the air. The whole season, he has not had a game over 240 besides that Tennessee game. So seeing what he can do through the air um, against Georgia is going to be a very, very intriguing thing to me because I think that'll give us a, a good idea of how much better this Georgia defense is compared to that Tennessee defense, which I think we all know it is significantly better. Tennessee is not a defensive team one bit, but uh, it's, it's kind of hard not to look ahead a little bit and kind of Obviously, you don't never want to, you know, brush past a game like this against Florida. But I think everybody, including Georgia players and, you know, Georgia, what's going on at Georgia? I think everybody is kind of looking past Florida a little bit and kind of has their eyes on the following week. Um, and that's not something we want to do. You want to be ready every single week for the team that you have at hand coming up. But this is a similar opponent we've had. And I want to say this is the first same opponent we faced this year with Tennessee. So um, it, it's going to be fun to see what the difference is that we can that we can make against them is. Yeah, let's see, man. We got Tennessee fans clamoring, saying that they should be the number one team in the country because they played all these upper echelon teams, and they wanted to celebrate like crazy when they beat Florida by four or five points, whatever it was. So let's see if they keep that same energy when we go out there and beat them by 30. Yes. We'll see if it's a quality win when we do it. Um, one thing I want to say about this Florida team before I dive into some of these injuries, this is something that I saw earlier that's a little bit uh, of a red flag. You, for you Florida fans out there, if you're listening to this show, probably should find a new show to listen to. Um, the University of Florida is allowing the most offensive production in all of college football to opposing tight ends. Oh, well, guess what, buddies? We have one. We have two. We have three. Oh, man. We got four. We got four. If you count Mr. Arik Kilber or Oscar Delp, depending on which one you want to say, this is the fourth string. Yeah, dude. Any way you, you want to split this thing, it, it's looking like it's going to be a, a rough matchup for Florida. And uh, I'm not going to tell you otherwise. Let's talk about the injury updates a little bit. Um, got a couple quotes from Kirby today in a, a presser this morning. Um, on Jalen Cardi and A.D. Mitchell, uh, this is a direct quote from Kirby Smart today. They've done a little bit, but we don't feel great about them. Uh, Jalen has probably looked better than A.D., but I don't know at this point if either one of them will be able to play. Um, that's a little bit concerning. Um, not necessarily for the Florida game, but just in general, because these are two key players. Jalen Carter is a top five pick in this upcoming NFL draft, and A.D. Mitchell is undoubtedly the best wide receiver on this team. He is uh, the only true X receiver that we really have, and we've really been struggling with that. We talk about it week after week. We just run all these bunch formations, and we're trying to get the balls to our playmakers. But um, when you miss a guy like A.D. Mitchell, there's really no way to counteract that or replace him. So these are guys that we really need to get back. Now, obviously – Jake and I are not on the team, so we can look ahead to a team like Tennessee, and it's not going to affect the team at all. I know this Georgia team is not, but um, if you give Jalen Carter and A.D. Mitchell, you know, they got the bye week to get healthy. Let's say they don't play this game. They get another week to get healthy. This is about the last week you can afford to have these guys not on the field. Yes. yes. We have um, a couple tough, tough games coming up on the schedule. 
Yeah, you're really going to need them after this. So um, I'm, I'm hopeful that these guys can kind of get back into the rotation a little bit and practice this upcoming week and, and really get back into the fold. Um, let's talk about Dan Jackson, man. We love Dan, da- Dan Jackson on this show. We talk about him all the time. Unfortunately, um, Kirby Smart did confirm today that Dan Jackson will be out for the foreseeable future. He's going to need surgery to fix a stress fracture in his foot. So uh, T's and P's to Dan Jackson, man. We love you. Damn good dog and a guy that really is a – a big contributor to this team in many different ways. Um, and I'm not going to talk bad about him at all, but so, so I'll just say this, uh, Dan Jackson is a great player and he will be missed in all aspects of the, of the game. Um, but I think predominantly on special teams, um, as far as the safety position goes, he is last among our four rotational pieces in rest yes. this season. Um, he did start the season opener season opener against Oregon. Um, he was replaced by Malachi Starks who, Interestingly enough, Malachi Starks is actually leading all safeties on this team in snaps with 329, followed by Chris Smith with 309, Javon Bullard with 213, Tyke Smith with 144, and then Dan Jackson rounding out the top four with 126. So um, you lose a guy like Dan Jackson, I'm by no means writing that off. Dan Jackson is an incredible player. He's such a good fundamental player for us. This is a guy that contributes in many different ways. Um, but specifically on special teams, this guy's always buzzing around the field, making plays. Um, so, Dan Jackson, get well soon, man. Uh, we'd love to see you back out there as soon as possible. If it's not this season, I hope you come back primed and ready to go for next season. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it kind of it kind of shows how good Georgia's defense is as a whole. Um, you lose a guy of the caliber of Dan Jackson. Um, nationally, he might not be a big name, but you watch him, you know, week in and week out. Dan Jackson is a good football player, and um, he just so happens to be the fourth best safety we have on this roster. Um, so I uh, could argue the fifth best safety, if, depending on how you feel about Bull- Bullard. Um, but we have, we have a lot of different things that we can kind of look to now with, with, with Dan out of the mix. I'm sure we'll see Tyke get a lot more play time, which I think is something that a lot of Georgia fans are excited about. They should be excited about because this is a former All-American safety. So, you know, seeing him on the field, you know, more. And I know he was kind of coming back from injury problems last year towards ACL. Um Working his way back on the field and getting more play time is going to be a huge, huge thing. You know, college ball is one of them weird things where, like, in the NFL, somebody comes back from ACL tear, they're full go right away. College ball is not really like that. People have to kind of work their way in and work their way back up that depth chart to kind of fit in. And one, I think one of the key reasons is that is you ask a lot of these coaches in college ball what the main priority is whenever you're a college coach. We love championships as fans and stuff, but you, I, you ask most coaches, their biggest part of their job is getting these guys to the next level. And rushing a guy back from a torn ACL is not the way to get them to the next level. And um, so a guy like Tyke, just because we haven't seen him play a whole lot this year, that does not mean he's a bad player all of a sudden. It just means they're just trying to bring him back from ACL. We look at we see the same thing with Don Blaylock on the offensive side of the ball. We've been working his he's been working his way back, you know, this year through, you know, a couple weeks. And, you know, as the season went on, he's gotten more and more play time. He's become more of a, you know, a factor on the offensive side. So, you know. Getting a chance to see Tyke hopefully play more is, is something I'm really, really pumped about. No, you're absolutely right. You don't want to rush these guys back too early. And I do want to say, I think I said top four in safeties. I, I meant to say top five there. Dan Jackson is fifth in total snaps taken from the safety position. So uh, my fault there. Um, my last point to hit on on injuries before we head out of here is um, talk a little bit about Smile Munden and, and Kendall Milton. Um, Kendall Milton's a guy we've been missing, uh, obviously, in, in recent weeks. Um, so I, I will say this in an article that I read from, I believe, Dogs Daily. So shout out, Dogs Daily. Um, Georgia does expect to have both Smile Munden and Kendall Milton available this week, as both have been practicing with the team. 
Munden did not play against Auburn or Vandy due to an ankle injury while Milton left the Auburn game with a groin injury. Um, and a direct quote from Kirby here, um, Munden has looked really, really good. So Beautiful. Uh, great to see we get some some guys like that. Obviously, you talk about in the four two five defense that we run, those two linebackers are JDJ and Smile Munden. So you get those guys back and you're able to keep that rotating safety piece, uh, you know, in the rotation between Malachi Starks, Chris Smith, Javon Borden, Tyke Smith. Um, this team is uh, getting getting back, man. We're getting some injuries figured out. We're getting guys back on the field. So I think the last couple pieces of the puzzle are A.D. Mitchell and, and uh, Jalen Carter. So we'll get those guys back, man. Um, it's going to be a really, really good second half of the season for this Georgia football team. Oh, yeah. I, I'm pumped for it, man. I, I'm excited for it, and I know we'll have even more uh, Florida-Georgia look-ahead stuff tomorrow, which is going to be really, really exciting. I have a couple things I was thinking up in my head as, as we were rolling through this podcast. That's right. Yeah, we'll talk about talk a little bit about this game, dive into the X's and O's a little bit more, talk about what we can expect to see impact players uh, from the offensive and defensive side of the ball. We'll talk about some bets, and, uh, and yeah, I think that just about rounds out this episode. Jake, you got anything else you want to add? No, I just want to say, you know, thank you guys so much for the support. Um, 21 episodes deep now, so that, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing. Um, whenever you talk about doing stuff like this and, you know, something that's pretty consistent, it always sounds good at the start, but as time goes on, you know, things start kind of dying off. People become busy, and, you know, sometimes you might not ever touch back on it. But I think we've done a pretty good job at, you know, making, making ways with our life stuff and, uh, you know, making time for this and keeping it, you know, relatively consistent. I know that we've, been, we've had times where we missed a week or so, but uh, other than that, we have been doing good at it. So to see 21 episodes is is a pretty big deal for us. Um, it is a nice thing to see. And as of right now, I mean, there ain't no slowing down anytime soon. So uh, I, I, I'm excited for it. So, you know, just thank y'all so much. Kenny mentioned it at the start of the pod about the socials and stuff, so I'm not going to really touch back on that stuff. But uh, yeah, just appreciate it. Kenny, I'm, I'm going to pass it back to you for your closing statements. We'll end this thing off. That's it, man. Yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. We're super pumped to bring you guys some more content. Football season's really ramping up. We talk about the dogs headed into a little, the toughest part of the schedule this year, headed into the postseason on the pro side and college side of things. So um, be looking out, man. we got some more content coming to you. Talk talk a little bit more ball in all aspects and all sports. So uh, thank you guys so much for listening and tuning in. Be sure to interact with us everywhere, and um, y'all have a good one. Oh, uh, yeah.